Now, supporting a struggling student who might, so emphasise struggling student who might produce a good thesis in the end, is a very worthy thing to do. We'd all agree it's a good thing, but it has consequences, both good and challenging, for the student, the supervisor and the institution. And we'll have a look in more detail uh, at that as we go through this. Supporting a struggling student who produces a poor thesis in the end has unfortunate consequences for everybody. Uh, and I think that includes the examiners as well. So we'll see uh, how the examiners feel about that. Finding a balance between giving all of this encouragement, support and help as a supervisor uh, for a student who is struggling is a very delicate matter. And sometimes it is much kinder, I think, um, to not prolong the agony, um, to persuade people that there are better things that they can be doing with their intellectual time and effort than doing a PhD, which is a very strange beast. And not everybody needs one, um, and what they think it is going to do for them may not actually be what it does do for them, as some of you alluded to, where you come to after a PhD is not always where you're expecting to come to. And it's every examiner's nightmare to receive a poorly produced thesis. Okay. It's not the student that's poor, but the <coughs> thesis is poor. Um, and so when an examiner receives something from a student who should have been counsel now a long time ago, it is absolutely awful. And I've seen one or two of those as well. So the examinations have and are running up to 100 now, I think. Institutions can't have their cake, that is, masses and masses of registered students, uh, and then let it go moldy on the shelf. That's not an appropriate way that we should run things in institutions. Um, I think everything, we've got about at least 10 different institutions here, and I can bet my bottom dollar that you've all been told that you've got to double or triple your number of doctoral students. Yeah? Uh, now, where they're all going to come from, I don't know, because people aren't really queuing up at the door out there. Uh, but we'll see. Right. So, timely submission. Um, just wanted to check, because there was something that you'd said earlier. Yes, uh, one of the things that um, we want to look at is what are the frustrations and dilemmas for supervisors? Now, I know that some of you here are students, but I thought I would just put the other side of the coin because we have Sean who is going to tell us the student side, I think, um, uh, later this afternoon, which will be very interesting. Um, but the research process is never, ever problem-free. Research, by its very nature, finds problems. That's what it's about. Um, so, for instance, we get things like physical and human resource availability. Uh, um, physical resources and human resources are not always there when we need them. They do break down. They are unpredictable. Uh, those of you who have engaged in research will know that people will promise to give you interviews and then not turn up, or you will make huge arrangements, getting permissions at all sorts of levels to get to speak to somebody and then they decide they don't want to. Uh, or disasters happen, like you lose your recordings. Um, all sorts of things like that happen. You, you plan to have um, uh, 
some kind of analysis system on your computer and you discover it's too expensive at the last minute, or that the university's changed its uh, buying procedures and it won't buy that kind, only another kind, and you've spent years learning how to do one kind. So those kinds of resources um, happen to all of us as researchers all the time. It just feels like it when you're a student that it's just picked on you to happen. Um, unexpected publications happen, like you are two years into your PhD and you think you've got something novel that nobody else is interested in and you do another quick literature search and find that somebody's written all about your <laughs> yeah. uh, Or your interim results are not quite what you think they were, what they were going to be. In fact, they seem to say that there's nothing out there when you thought there was something out there. Um, now, that's not always a disaster, because that can lead you into other things, but it does kind of slow you down a bit when you think you have managed your time well and you've got a good, organized plan of campaign. Um, those things get in the way. Um, there are breakdowns and natural disasters. Um, and I think I've... Um, well, for instance, I've got, I met a student, I was working with a different group of universities this week, uh, and there was a student, two students there from Syria, and they are nearly finished. But they're not going to finish, because if they finish, they have to go home, and they've got no home to go to in Syria. So we had a long discussion about the, the morality, and the, you know, uh, but they have children here, and they're not going to take their children back. Uh, and that's understandable. Um, how, how would I, as a mother, um, counsel these students with children of their own to go back to Syria at this time? No, I wouldn't. Um, I have to put my supervisor hat on. I might have a different, well, I'd probably stay the same as a supervisor. Would I say the same um, as, as somebody more senior in the university? Probably not. Uh, and if, certainly if that was the visa people, then I would say something completely different. Uh, but these things happen. Uh, and then we had people who were uh, involved in, whose families were involved in the tsunami and they had to go back again. So those sorts of things happen. But I think more importantly, doing a doctorate occurs in adult life, no matter how mature you are. From the age of about 22 onwards, any three or four years that you want to pick will have things happen. They will have joyful things happen that distract you. They will, I'm not sure about the marriage bit that you quoted in your <laughs> figures, but things do distract you. Um, and uh, unanticipated sorrows and joys come along. You think you've planned for everything and then things happen. Like today, I was saying today, I thought it was going to be a great day. I'm sure it will be a great day, but today I have to curtail this. Things happen to students and they can last longer. Uh, and I thought I'd just tell you a little bit about some of my most recent students, just to give you a flavour of what it's like from my perspective when a student comes and tells me these things. So I have a student, and let's call her Sally. And Sally uh, was, is, was doing great. She was um, once a soldier, uh, and she's an overseas student. Uh, but she was uh, married to a soldier in this country, and she lived here. And she was doing fantastic things, and 
uh, in her second year, she organized a conference of de to debate the issues in her PhD. And she had the highest level of the army come to her conference, both to give papers and to discuss some of the issues that were arising from her stuff. It was brilliant. She went off to another conference um, to talk about her methodology with some uh, colleagues and uh, her paper on methodology that went down brilliantly. They were really thought it was great. So Sally's doing wonderful. She came home from her conference to find that her husband had left her two very small children with a next door neighbor and gone off with somebody. That happens, but it happens really bad when you're married to a soldier because that means you have to get out of your house. So she had to go home to her parents to help her carry out. So she had to go from full-time to part-time. And she's abroad. And it's really quite difficult supervising by email and coming backwards and forwards occasionally. But she's doing fine, but she's now registered part-time, so it's taken a bit longer. And, uh, but still, she's funded by ESRC, so we need to get her finished within the time. And we've already done the begging bit about she's had to go home, can we have a bit of an extension, etc. No, sorry, suspension. We've done all of that, and now she's, but she's had to get a job to support her two children. So she's got a job and a part-time PhD, and she's abroad, and things. Now her deadline is the middle of July this year. And I've got a few chapters, but I'm really sweating now. I'm really, really worried. Last month, she emailed me and said, wow, this wonderful thing has happened. She's been invited to go on a trek with these soldiers to the North Pole. <laughs> and it will be really interesting for her data. But I'm saying, when are you going to write this thesis? So what do I do as a, doc as a, a doctoral supervisor? This is a wonderful opportunity for her, but she's had so many disasters already, you know, and it's good stuff she's writing, but she's got to finish it. So, you know, uh, she, she is going to the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got to finish writing the thesis before she goes, so we, we came to an old agreement. So that's, that's Sally. Then, uh, what have we got here? Uh, unforeseen struggles with new approaches, techniques and methods. Uh, then we've got Terry. Terry started off his PhD with another supervisor uh, and he was interested in looking at uh, how people see their worlds, basically. I won't go into the details. Uh, but that supervisor was quantitatively orientated and kept saying, just do a big survey. But he felt he wasn't getting at why people thought these things and did these things and so on. So he happened to come to one of my workshops and said, I want to do stuff like you're doing. So we had to very carefully negotiate with this other supervisor that I could come in as a co-supervisor and help him with this qualitative matters. Um, and in the end, the other supervisor said, I don't understand it. Um, I, I think I'll, I think it's better if you just have him. You have him, basically. So, but all of that negotiation took time. He'd already wasted a year and a half trying to quantitatively measure people's understanding of the world um, and their attitudes and so on. So um, that was another waste of time. He finished on time about six months ago. 
Um, but that's sorts of one, one of the other sorts of things that happen. Um, there's also another example of going back a little bit further, where I have actually had to wrest the thesis from the hands of a student <laughs> who kept finding other bits to polish up. And another little bit, maybe I'll just check this bit of literature. Maybe I need another paragraph in here about the philosophy. Maybe I need, he just really liked being a student and he wasn't going to stop. And he was really scared of going out into the big wide world. Um, and in the end, I had to talk to his parents, actually, <laughs> who kept coming to me and saying, is he ever going to finish? I said, can we help him to finish? Like, can we get together and just pile all this stuff and photocopy it and bind it and just... <laughs> not quite as bad as that, but not far off. So there we are. That's the sorts of things that can happen. And how awful is that for the supervisor? You know, come on students, feel sorry for the supervisor. <laughs> Managing the people and the process in a supportive yet time-focused way is always a challenge. Uh, and it can lead to chronic indigestion. I've always got indigestion. Every time a thesis flops on my desk, <laughs> I get indigestion. So timely submission, the frustrations for examiners. Now, the next biggest frustration to having a total disaster of a thesis is premature submission. Uh, when, some, when you're an examiner, you can tell almost from the first glance through when somebody has submitted something that's not quite when they've hurried up at the end. And that makes it an enormous assessment task. When you have to go through and do the nitty gritty stuff like where sentences don't make sense and you've got to underline them, where there's a complete part of the evidence missing or a bit of explanation that doesn't make sense. And then the final chapters are all rushed like, here's the results, it's really interesting, the end. <laughs> uh, you can tell that has happened when the person has submitted uh, at the very last minute on their deadline day um, and, that's, and they haven't really finished. And often, I have to say, supervisors sometimes encourage their students to submit even though it's not ready, because of the institution's demand. <laughs> is, it my, is it my heart attack? <laughs> um, the institution's demand for not having their figures messed up with the timing, the supervisors encourage people to say, they say, that's all right, the examiners will tell you how to finish it off, or will help you polish it up. And that, and that for an examiner, is very, very annoying. Because actually, often you think when you're examining it, when you're reading the work, that the fault lies not with the student, but with the system or with the supervision and so on. And I reckon that the vast majority of those that I've ever given major, you know, major corrections, resubmissions to, it's been the fault that things that any supervisor should, I think, have a made sure were fixed before it ever got to the examiner. Or delayed submission. How many times, in fact, I'm now waiting for one, how many times uh, do you say, yes, I will supervise that work. It sounds really interesting. Uh, when do you want to have the viva? Oh, we'll have the viva in May. Uh, right, so 
when in May you set a date and you think, fine, that's good, I'll leave a, a, bit, a few days around the weekend, you know, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no, it's usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when I will be able to read that thesis in detail. And then you get a message like two weeks before, actually it's not going to be ready, can we put it forward to June? And then it's July, and it's the times that you have set aside to do your marking and reading and so on, um, you have to reorganise. So how would you accommodate what really amounts to about a week's work into something when you have to keep moving it and removing everything else you're doing? So there are those things that uh, are a bit frustrating for examiners as well. And, and actually, it doesn't put you in a really good mood when you pick that big thesis up. So, completion. So let's assume they have submitted, they've been vivid, but they're not quite completed yet. So what happens for supervisors when there's a delay in completion? Uh, well, one thing is that you've already got the workload, and you think that student's finishing, and you take on another one to replace them. So that time that you would have given to that student is now really due to another student. But if somebody has overrun, or is having major corrections, etc., then you have got an additional workload. <laughs> uh, there's a tension between providing support and recognizing the autonomy of the researcher. What do you do as a, a supervisor when your student is making corrections? Do you help them to make those corrections? Or should you by now be saying, well, okay, you're a PhD student now, you're an autonomous learner, you're on your own, get on with it. Now, some <coughs> do that and some don't. There is no rule about how much help you're supposed to give a student once they have submitted and had their viva. Um, so there is not even a general agreement within an institution about how much help you get. But in some institutions, there is no recognition of that supervisory time and sometimes there's not even um, recognition when it's for a, a whole year as opposed to uh, only three months or so. Uh, you worry about the student but you also worry about your own reputation so you worry about how well they're doing these amendments but if they don't do them well then actually it's going to be your reputation that's on the line as well as the students and probably um, the institution's reputation too. And there's pressure from funders saying, come on, get those people out of the way, you've got to give your time to these other people. For examiners, if there's a re-examination, then that's an additional workload that you weren't expecting, in inverted commas, uh, when you first agreed to uh, examine that thesis. So, uh, I am at the currently waiting, um, I, I don't know whether I'm waiting in vain, uh, for major corrections, to come to me from a very prestigious university that gives a year and a half for their resubmissions. They can work that out. Um, it's one of the few that gives a year and a half. Now, a year has gone. Now, I have sent a message at about the nine-month stage saying, should I expect to see this thesis anytime soon? Uh, not, I haven't heard anything yet was the reply. A year's come up, I've sent the message again. What do I do? Do I decide that I could go abroad now for six months or something? Or what do I do? I've got to re-examine that thesis. 
Uh, and there's almost the horror. I don't know, uh, it's perhaps I should just say to research students here, anybody who's not submitted yet, anybody here who's not submitted, okay. Shall I just tell you, it's actually quite horrific being an examiner because I will be awake the night before worrying about whether that student can do a good show in the Viva enough to get them through. Okay? When it's a resubmission, it's even a bigger worry because it's really horrendous to have to say to a student, not only have you not passed your first Viva, but now your corrections are not good enough. That is something horrible that you don't want to do, really. Uh, but, uh, and this is, you probably can't read this, it's too small, but I thought I'd just put this on here. Uh, earlier, uh, it was mentioned about the American uh, submission times. Think about our three to four years for submission, depends on which, uh, this is a full-time equivalent. Three to four years is different, uh, funders have different rules, so let's say three to four years. Uh, this is a report from the USA uh, task force on doctoral study in modern languages. Okay? And they said, we are faced with an unsustainable reality. A median time to degree of around nine years for language and literature doctoral recipients and the long-term academic job market that provides tenure-track employment for only 60% of doctoral recipients. So they're looking at nine years and we're looking at three to four. Okay. I know in Germany I've got lots of colleagues who are supervising students for ten years and it's not unusual, albeit that usually they are employed by the university and they're doing it part time. But that is actually quite significantly different to our situation. Now this is my final bit because this is my dream. This is a person can dream, can't she? It's everyone's goal. I think you all agree. It's everyone's goal that each registered doctorate results in successful completion witnessed by a non-trivial original contribution to knowledge, whatever that is, uh, communicated very well and explicitly by the researcher, uh, and we will be producing a really good critical thinking professional person with good generic skills. That's all changed in the many, many years that I've been supervising because we didn't have all of those things at the end. We didn't have that they had to have professional skills or any of those things before. Uh, it is clear though that some research topics require more time or less time than others. And I think some of you alluded uh, in the discussion that some people start their PhD with a provided topic and others have to find the topic through the literature review based on some intuitive theory that they have to start with. So those things make a difference. Uh, some doctoral candidates have more or less than others of personal and supervisory support. So some people have a lot of support at home, a lot of support at work and really good supervisors and some at the other end of the spectrum have horrible supervisors, poor support at home, etc, etc. Uh, some life problems come along unexpectedly for everybody at some point and they're of different magnitude. 
And some people need more carrots and sticks than others. There are some students who, yes, they're resilient and persistent and all of those things. And there are others who, by their nature, are a bit more lackadaisical or need a bit more encouragement or a few more hugs along the way or even a few toes in the rear along the way. <laughs> so there are, people have different needs. We are looking at Surrey um, about being more careful in our selection and induction processes because we do believe that actually it would be uh, helpful if people had a better understanding of what the doctorate is and we also had a better understanding of what we're actually looking for in a doctoral researcher other than that they've got money to support them. Uh, the institution usually just likes you to have the money to support them. Uh, but we are now being much more careful about that. Uh, we do need regular and constructive monitoring. And I think in many of the universities, there are systems now that are being set up where people are regularly monitored. There's annual reviews, there's upgrades or transfers or whatever you want to call um, the mid-stage reviews and so on. And, and as long as they're accompanied by constructive feedback, that can help a lot for keeping people off track making sure that they actually do some writing along the way and not leaving it all to the last minute and so on. So those things help, but they're not infallible. Still, these other things happen. We need a system that responds flexibly to circumstance but has sector-agreed boundaries, implemented by appropriately trained staff, is what I've said there. But I was really pleased with the discussion that was going on uh, over the, at the back there because I actually would like to challenge some of the notions that we have about an allotted time. You use this word as an allotted time to do the thesis. Who allots this time? Well, it's the funding agencies. Is that based on any understanding of what a doctorate is? Okay. So, that allotted time is arbitrary in some senses. Uh, but one of the things that we as supervisors are supposed to do is to ensure that the project that people actually design in the end is one that can be completed within three to four years. So that's a supervisor role. But actually, to be a supervisor, all you've got to do is be a bit of an expert in your subject area or a methods expert or whatever. So. Actually, we need better support and professional training in being supervisors in order to support the students better in designing a project that will take only three to four years. Now, since I got my first student before I'd actually even submitted my own PhD, how I was supposed to know how to do that, I don't know. And within a year and a half, I was asked to examine somebody else's PhD. And did I know what the criteria were? No. So I asked my colleagues, what are the criteria? You'll know one when you see them. <laughs> <laughs> right, now, I have now, since that time, spent 35 years training supervisors wherever I can get the opportunity. Having supervisor workshops, talking to other supervisors, and sharing the joys and sorrows. But that's not actually a very professional way to do things. And in another life, when I'm not being a psychologist or an educationist, sometimes I'm, in, I'm an honorary pharmacist. And I know that they have proper professional training for their job. And they have to keep
keep doing that training and keeping it up to date year after year after year. In fact, as a psychologist, you have to do CPD. So where's the CPD for supervisors? And where's the CPD for examiners? We don't have any. So I think that we would actually do better with submission and um, completions and so on if we professionalize this job and we had proper training with quality control systems for supervisors and examiners so that we can do a really good job of dis discriminating, if you like, between what is a good thesis and what isn't, how we can discriminate between what's good practice and what isn't, and how we can take discretionary action. Because a profession should have discretionary action powers to say, this student needs a bit longer, or this one can be submitted earlier. But we don't have that discretionary power at all. We're told by these people who think we should finish within three to four years, because that's all the money they've got, um, how to supervise and examine a doctorate. So there you are. Throw that in there. I think we're changing the uh, higher education system is turning into an audit society where we're measured on all sorts of criteria that are irrelevant to what we're doing. So I thought I'd just throw that really political <laughs> thing right into the middle and then run away and leave you. <laughs>